0: All right, let's, let's try and read together. Starting in verse 1 all the way down to verse 8. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good... He that show with mercy, with cheerfulness. Let's pray. Fathers, we look into these verses in just eight verses. There is a, an amazing revelation to every believer in here that we have been gifted. We have not just received the gift of eternal life. We've received a gift, at least one, that enables us to do reasonable service, to do sacrificial service to do something, though humiliating, humiliating, it is eternal. So bless and help our understanding this morning, may everybody learn that they have a gift to serve. If there's somebody in this room who has not received the gift of God, which is eternal life, today's the day for them to get born again. Lord, there's a lot of gift-giving at Christmas, well, there's a lot of gift-giving in Jesus pray somebody receives a lot of gifts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. All right, I'm going to talk to you about being gifted to serve. And um, of all the things that Jesus taught, the greatest was how to serve others. And Jesus taught a lot of things, but the greatest thing he ever taught was how to be a servant. It, is, it, is a, it used to be a common phrase that you could hear anywhere you went, where somebody would say, I am here to serve, or I'm happy to serve. When, when Nina and I got here, there was something that always, we could. it took us a while to get used to. Somebody would come up, we'd go into Dunn's, and somebody would come up to us, are you okay? <laughs> and we're going, yeah, we're fine. You know, <laughs> we thought they were asking whether we were okay mentally, or I don't know what they were asking. But are you okay? But what they were saying was, can I help you? There's still some of that, but it's only in certain places, and it's only by certain people. Matter of fact, I find that a lot of people are terrified of being pushed out of their comfort zones to have their life interrupted and asked to do something they really don't want to do. To be asked to do something they're afraid to do. People are terrified of being humiliated and maybe rejected by those that they serve. Most people, many people at least, see a life of service hmm, as something that other people do, but not themselves. You know, well, I'll leave that for someone else. Oh, you, know, you're, you, know, you're, you pastor, you're much better at that. You know what that means? I don't want to do it. <laughs> That's what that means. So, you know, if I ever came up to you and I handed you a plunger and I said, the toilet is backed up. Most of you would say, oh, I'm not very good at that. Yeah, right. No, I don't care if you're good at it. Figure it out. Amen. <laughs> we, we don't like to be told or asked or compelled to do what we don't want to do. Yet the greatest purpose of any of our lives is not to enjoy life. Everybody says, fine, do what you enjoy doing. Well, I wish I could. But the greatest purpose of your life is not to rule other lives or to control empires or make large sums of money and wealth. But the greatest purpose in any Christian's life is to serve God and serve other people. By the way, you cannot serve God without serving people. Somebody once said the ministry would be great. Oh, preaching and pastoring would be fantastic if it weren't for people. (laughs) Well, guess what? If you're going to serve God, you're going to have to serve people. And serving is hard, it never gets easier. I'm saved 39 years, and people are more complicated today than ever. But serving Jesus Christ is the most fulfilling and satisfying way for any human to live. So by way of background, let me say that human nature does not get excited about serving. There's no honor in it, there's no praise. Your boss doesn't come in and say, oh, Look at all these wonderful people that I've hired. You guys are the best. Oh, I can't wait to put you out there on the front. You're awesome. Now he just says, get to work, doesn't he? Serving gets very little praise. Now, it's nice to have an employer that actually appreciates us. But most of us, we just got to work. And we did our jobs. And so most people aren't excited about serving. We'd rather be served, wouldn't we? Huh. I'll tell you what. You're an adult, and you have people in your home make you a cup of coffee, set it by the sink, and go in and sit down in the sitting room. And then yell out, would someone bring me my coffee, please? And notice, nobody gets up (laughs) and brings it to you. People don't like to do that. Now, maybe you live in a home that is different as it should be. I find that so many Christians only do servile work, lowly work, if they're paid to do it. Oh, can I pay you to do this? Oh, then they'll do it. But it's kind of hard to get them to do it if you ask them to be a volunteer. I have found that Christians, Christians are not paid to serve people. They're called to serve people. So Christ expects his people to serve in God's kingdom. Romans chapter 12, verse 11. Go down to verse 11. There in Romans 12, it says, not slothful in business, fervent, excited in spirit, serving the Lord. That's the Christian life, not lazy in anything we do. Business doesn't just mean business like high street business or uh, a, a company or whatever. In your busyness, in what you do during the day, never being slothful, always excited in spirit, and always serving the Lord. Go back to Romans chapter 7, Romans chapter 7 and verse 6. Verse 6 says, but now we are delivered from the law. Now the law was like an x-ray machine. It could not help you. It could only expose what is wrong with you. And we're delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held. Our our old list of laws and, 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 and offenses against God and against people was all crucified at the cross that we should now serve in the newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Now what we're going to look at here is that we always, we always think that Christianity is push, push, pull, pull. It's always force. Whereas God asks us and says, will you serve? It's an amazing thing that, wow, my, my relationship with God, there are some things he commands me. But there are some things that he asks of me. And he asks because he expects, he says, will you serve me? And you can, you can do it, not with the old letters of the law, command, command, command. Because there's a new spirit inside of you. There is a new heart inside of you that says, tell me what to do. Because I want to do it. Now, uh, Galatians 5, you're in Romans, go to the right, find Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. Galatians 5.13. For brethren, speaking to Christians, ye have been called unto liberty. What's liberty? Freedom! You've been called into liberty. Only use not your liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love we should do what? Serve one another. Now that, wouldn't, that would be simple if it was only getting somebody a cup of coffee. It would, only, it would be simple if it was just opening the door. But by love to serve one another rarely stops there, does it? Sometimes it means picking up after someone else, constantly. <laughs> Sometimes it means cleaning up after someone. Sometimes it means covering for someone when they have fallen. You know, we've been called in liberty, you can do as you please now. But I don't use my liberty for myself. I use my liberty to, to, by love, serve one another. Now, thankfully, we are gifted to serve. We are enabled, empowered. God has given us seven gifts to enable every Christian to serve people. Are there some people in life that kind of put a drain on you, that when they come to your house... Or when they come into your shop, you go, oh, no, I'll never get anything done for the next two hours. Anybody like that? Well, there are people like that, and you must learn to serve them. But the mature Christian says, I don't want to be like that. I want to be a server. I don't want to be a drain. I want want to be a part of a living body of believers that lives to serve God. Each of the seven gifts we're going to talk about, I'm not going to talk about them today, they'll be for next week, each of these seven gifts are abilities that you didn't have one moment before you got saved. These are not talents. These are not, oh, pastor, I got saved last week, and look, I can play the piano. No, God doesn't give you that type of a gift. That's a talent maybe you have, and maybe your parents developed it. Some people can sing, some people can, can speak. But those are talents, these are gifts that you did not have one moment before your conversion, but after you got saved, God gifted you with an ability to serve. Isn't that awesome? See, we want the talents that help us to perform. God says, I'd rather a servant you be. Especially each of these seven gifts were given to every believer so they could do the perfect will of God. Now who gets us? Who gets this kind of spiritual gift? Go back to Romans. Well, I tell you what. We'll read that in a moment. Look at the, we'll look at Ephesians. Ephesians chapter four. You're in Galatians. Go to the next verse. I'm afraid that most people think spiritual gifting is only for really smart, really moral, really passionately interested Christians. The rest, uh, we're just we're just watching. But Paul says back there in Romans 12, as you're going to Ephesians 4, he says. This is given to every man, every woman among you. Just as we have many members in our one body, we'll talk about this in a moment. So we, being many, are one body in Christ. So he's talking to all of us. Look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 7. It says, But unto how many of us? Every one of us is given grace. According to the measure of the gift of Christ. He's not talking about the grace for salvation. He's talking about the grace for service. Wherefore he saith, when he, Jesus, ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts unto men. What kind of gifts? Huh. Do You think he gave us Christmas gifts? See, some people think Jesus is like Santa. He just goes around and just gives people money, and other people he doesn't give anything. (laughs) No unto every one of us is given these gifts. Now, if I, uh, said to, um, if I said to Patrick, Patrick, I want you to go and pick up Miss So-and-So, and you look at me, now I can't use Patrick, I'm going to have to, I'll use, uh, Patrick doesn't have a driver's license, I'd be in trouble, I'd get in jail, here I am. But uh, Juliet, I said, Juliet, I need you to go pick up Mrs. So-and-So, and Juliet looks at me and says, but I don't have a car today. Then I pull out my keys and I say, you do now. I just gifted you with the ability to do what I asked you to do, didn't I? And that's what God does. God asks us to do something we cannot do. And then he gives us the keys to the ability to do it. Do you remember Moses? Go back to, you can leave this for a moment, go to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. One of the most amazing and wonderful illustrations of gifting in your Bible. Exodus chapter 3 and verse 7. God hmm, told Moses to travel all the way back to Egypt, face off with mighty Pharaoh and bring all the Jewish people out of Egypt and bring them to Mount Sinai. Look in Exodus chapter 3 verse 7. The Lord said, now this is Moses, he's climbed up to the top of Mount Sinai, he's looking in a cave, he sees a burning bush and the burning bush talks. and he's kind of freaked out, he takes off his shoes, and God says "List." he says, The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people, which are in Egypt. And I have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. That's a good thing. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them out of that land unto a good land, and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, Under the place of the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and the Termites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me. And I have also seen the oppression, wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee back unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Ah, and Moses says... Sure thing, boss. I can do it. No, no, no. And Moses said unto God, "Uh, Hello, who am I? That I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt. What's he saying? "Uh, You got the wrong guy. I can't do that. This is not possible. Uh, I'm a nobody now. I'm 80 years old. That's how old Moses was when God said, I'm going to send you. So when God asked Moses, Moses, To do this big task, did Moses feel like he was able for it? No. Did Moses look back and see an army of people waiting to help him go and take on Pharaoh? No. Did Moses feel strong and healthy and smart? And he didn't feel any that he says, you got the wrong guy. And God said, of course you can't do it. But you can now, because I will be with you. Look at verse 12. And God said, certainly... Boy, oh, I wish you'd circle these words because this is so priceless. Certainly, I will be with thee. If God Almighty is with you doing a task, can you not do it? Amen. And this shall be a token unto you. This will be a proof to you that I've called you. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, which you think is impossible, you're going to come all the way back here and serve God upon this very mountain. And you'll go, wow, God was right. And then God gifted Moses with everything he needed to do the will of God. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. Chapter 4, verse 1. Now Moses is still arguing. I know you never argue with God, but Moses did, and I do. Chapter 4, verse 1, and Moses answered. He's still arguing, and he said, But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto me my voice. For they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. And the Lord said unto him, What is that in thine hand? And he said, well, It's just a rod, God. It's just a sword. And And you know, what Moses thought, I mean, I, I say this all the time, if it was a banana, it was all God needed. Amen. He said, It's a rod. Verse 3. And he said, oh, Okay, throw it on the ground. Cast it on the ground. He cast it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses ran away from it. It wasn't some little bitty snake. It was was a huge, venomous snake, and he runs away from it. God just gave him something that will freak out Pharaoh. It would freak out the magicians back in Egypt. And he says, "Uh, that's just a start, Moses. Verse 4, and the Lord said unto Moses, put forth thine hand and take it by the... Now, you and I have never, hopefully, handled a snake. But a proper snake handler, anybody who works at a zoo or whatever, knows you do not pick up a snake by the tail. Why? Because that head will swing back and bite you, and in 30 seconds you're dead. Okay, so he says, pick it up by the tail. All right, now Moses is an outdoorsman. He's a farmer. He takes care of sheep. He's seen snakes. He knows you don't do that. But if God tells you to do it, watch what it does. And he put forth his hand, and he caught it, and it became a rod again in his hand. God has gifted Moses with not a stick anymore, but with a miracle. Let's keep going. Verse 5. He did that that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, hath appeared. This will prove it to them. And the Lord said further. Um, yeah, this is, and the Lord said further. Put forth. Put now thy hand into thy bosom. I'd be like this. It'd be like me sticking this into my coat here. And he said, put it into thy bosom. And he put his hand in his bosom. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous as snow. It was white. The skin was falling off. He He was doomed. This was a deadly disease. And then God said, Put forth thine hand in thy bosom again, and he put it back into his bosom again, and he plucked it out of his bosom and said, And behold, it was turned again as his other flesh. It was fine. Verse 8, God said, It shall come to pass, if they will not believe thee, neither hearken to the voice of the first sign. I've given you a second sign, a second miracle, that they may believe the voice of the latter sign. And it shall come to pass, if they will not believe also these two signs, Neither hearken unto thy voice that thou shalt take of the water of the river, and you can pour it out on the dry land, and the water which thou takest out of the river shall become blood upon the dry land. Hmm. Here uh, God gave him the ability to make people leprous and to heal them of leprosy. God gave him the ability to change water into blood. And then God did something, verse 10. This is absolutely breathtaking. And Moses, still arguing, said unto the Lord, O oh my Lord. I'm not eloquent. I don't know how to speak. Neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant. I don't feel any different in your presence. I seem to stutter. I seem to fumble over my words. Lord, you, I'm, I, I, this isn't working. I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. And the Lord said unto him, excuse me. Who made man's mouth? Or who maketh the dumb or deaf or the seeing or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go and I will be with your mouth. I will gift you with the ability to say what needs to be said. And I will teach thee what thou shalt say. Isn't that cool? Verse 13, he said, O oh my Lord, I'm still scared. Send, I pray thee, by the hand of him whom thou wilt send. Send someone else. And the anger of the Lord was killed. You know, you can push God. And you keep arguing God, God, I can't do it. I can't do it. And the Lord will finally say, all right. And watch what he does. He went ahead and gifted Moses with a helper. With someone who would carry, when he didn't feel able to do it, somebody else would be able. Isn't that what a marriage is? Isn't that what a, what, what, um, a, 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 uh, a friend is? You feel all alone, you're trying to do right, and just somebody comes along your side and takes over when you don't have any more strength. God says, uh, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, said, Is not Aaron the Levite thy brother? I know that he can speak well. And also, behold, he cometh forth to meet thee right now, and when he seeth thee, he will be glad in his heart, and thou shalt speak unto him, and put words in his mouth, and I will be with thy mouth, and with his mouth. And I will teach you what you shall do. Look, every time Moses came up with an excuse why he could not do what God asked him to do, what did God do? He says, here's the key. Here's the ability. Here's the gift. Even to the point he says, I can't do it. The Lord said, all right, I'll give you Aaron even. And isn't it true, gentlemen? Sometimes we look at our lives and we think it's so messed up and everything's so out of balance and we can't do what God wants and then God reminds us he gave you a wife. To make up for your failures. Amen. Teenagers, you're sitting there and you're thinking, man, I can't live for God. I mean, the pressure at school. You know what? God will, If you will try and live for God, God will give you an errand and help you when you feel weak and you just can't stand up and you can't stay strong. God, God will never let you carry that burden without Him. He just wants you to need Him. So, in simpler words, Um, in simpler words, God will never ask of you more than He can handle. Isn't that cool? uh, I thought it was, God will never ask me to do what I can't handle. Of course He will. But He will never ask you to do what He can't handle. Now notice, let's go back to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. Notice some of the gifting that God gave, that Jesus gave, to the world. Ephesians 4 and verse 11. Ephesians 4 and verse 11, we keep going on and it says, And he, Jesus, gave some, and he gave apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers. Hmm. Those are the gifts of Jesus Christ to a church. Now, why did he give? Why did he give these people as gifts to the church? Verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints. Do you think we all need some perfecting? Yeah. So when God gives you a pastor, he's not there to ruin your life or mess with your life or to, to, to be a burden and a bear to you, maybe sometimes. He's there to perfect you. And it goes on, it says, God gives these gifts of pastors and teachers, is not Elizabeth Bartlett a gift? Some of you have children in that children's church. When we have a teacher in there, given their time in their life, and they spend hours the week before preparing because they want to serve, that is a gift to the church. Well, notice why he gave that, to perfect and mature each of us, and it says, goes on, for the work of the ministry ourselves. Uh, it's great having an Elizabeth Bartlett, but it's great when there are more who are preparing to teach. And that we're all learning to do the ministry. Now, not everybody's a teacher. We'll learn that next week. Not everybody can do the same thing. But God gifted you to find a place and to serve that you couldn't have done before you got saved. This is what Christians do. And it goes on, I like it, Verse, the last part of verse 12, it says, for the edifying, the building up, the strengthening, Of the body of Christ. Now, every believer is given uh, a gift. Every believer is. There's not one of you that can say, well, God didn't give me anything. That's not possible. It says, to every man is given a gift to serve him, sometimes more than one. And God is basically giving us the ability to do his will. Um, notice uh, that every Christian is given a spiritual gift because serving, from the moment you got saved, serving is supposed to be the normal, the natural way a Christian lives. You have a baby. What is the baby? The most selfish creature on earth. Amen? Eat me! Change me! Hold me! Four years old. <laughs> Babies are Selfish. But God pity any parent who allows them to stay that way in are 19 and 20 and 25 and 30 years old and they still don't know how to cook. They still can't wash their own clothes. Come on, ladies. They still don't make their bed in the morning. God pity the mom who never makes their son at, at 9, 10, 11 years old or 6 how to make their own bed. Because the purpose of that life is not to be served, that purpose of that life is to grow up and to serve. Would you agree? It is, And how come is not seen as normal for us as Christians? This morning, I want us to listen as a man named Paul pleads with us, begs us to let go of our lives. Just give him, give him our very bodies as a living, give God as, a, as a, uh, our very bodies as a living sacrifice, so that we can actually serve him acceptably, not like we want, but like he wants, and find our greatest purpose and fulfillment in his will. So let's start back there in Romans 12, where we started, and let's look at these first few verses, because Romans chapter 12 is the call to service. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, beseech is a powerful word. It is a word that expresses begging on your knees, begging and and, and pleading with someone. Paul pleads with us, and I struggle with, I have prayed, and I said, "This this is the month that I feel impressed and burdened to get everyone in this church a part of this church. To pull together and to serve one another in love. And I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to motivate you. I don't know how to pull and push. I just find in my Bible, Paul pleading with us. Paul is pleading with us this morning, not as a religious man. He's not showing off as a devoted man or as a moral man or even a very powerful man. He had, at one point, he had great power. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was a ruler of the Jews. He could go anywhere and he could put somebody in jail or even have them tormented or killed. But he does not come and say, on my authority, I'm telling you what to do. That's not how Paul approaches. He pleads with every man as a changed man himself. Paul who used to ride on horseback. Paul who used to have men surrounding him who did his every bidding. Paul who would walk into the Sanhedrin and people would stand at attention because of his power and his authority and his, his intelligence and his wealth. And now Paul walked everywhere. Now Paul was thrown out of cities. He had to be let down in a, bas- in a, in a basket out of a window, out of Damascus. He has been changed. Hmm. He has been changed from persecutor and hater and fighter and destroyer of lives to that of a servant of all. First Corinthians chapter nine says this, for though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all. He did that willingly. He did that in his own choice. So he speaks to us, not like a parent telling a child, can you imagine a storm? Remember your parents, some, I still am so impressed that we've gotten rid of cigarettes. Is that not awesome? And they said, you cannot legislate morality but I grew up and I was surrounded by people smoking and everyone I'm saying, now don't you pick up a cigarette. Yeah. See, Paul's not up there talking from position of power. He's talking heart to heart, level saying, You're talk- I'm talking to you as a changed man myself. And I'm begging you, I'm urging you to consider doing something very hard. And he persuades us. He goes on in verse one. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that persuades me. Lamentations chapter 3 says this, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Would you agree God's being very good to you and me better than we deserve? Huh. The, the, the manager of, I, I always freak people out by this phrase. And and uh, the manager, his name is Jim O'Leary over at the Ballin College Shopping Center. He uh, He was in Puccino's. I was talking to somebody else, and he got up. He was with his wife. He had a cup of coffee, and he got up. He says, how you doing, Craig?" I mean, that's really cool. He knows me my first name. And um, anyway, I said, doing fine, Jim. Actually, I'm better than I deserve. He went, oh, I wouldn't say that. (laughs) At least he's listening. But you know, when you think about the mercies of God, what is mercy? Grace is when someone just comes up and gives you 50 euros somebody today yeah anybody no <clears throat> mercy is when you owe them 15 and let you off that's mercy do you understand the difference it's nice when somebody gives you money amen hold up both hands amen <laughs> but when you owe them money and they say forget about it that's mercy and it's of the Lord's mercies that motivate me I realize whew, I should be dead I sh- I-, I if 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 anybody should be dead and buried and gone, it should be me. Um, I uh, I don't know why anybody comes and listens to me. I don't know why Nita loves me. I'm just glad she does. I don't know why I got five kids. I don't know how come I have so many blessings. It's the mercy of God. And His mercies motivate me. He persuades me to hand over my life, to hand over my best to Him. You know, God deserves the gift of my life. He deserves my hands, my feet, my mind, my ears, my toes, my shoulders, my very life. This wicked, I I, I have things I'd like to talk about and I don't feel comfortable saying it. Too many young people are giving their life and their bodies to the wrong crowd. And what is so disastrous is, By the time they ever do get saved, their life is so messed up, so used up, so torn up. Wow. How are they going to have any sense between two brain cells to be able to do anything for God? Don't you waste your life and then try to come back to God and think it's all going to be hunky-dory. No, you are. Listen, God takes you as you are. But don't you dare think that you can go and you can play with the world and you can live in the world and you can love the world and you can come back from the world without the scars of the world and without the pain and without the loss, by the mercies of God, I should give my life now. I should give him everything about me. persuades us. All he asks us, look at that verse. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Wow. He asks us to present our whole very physical body, not just some spiritual thing. it's because of his mercies. Titus 3.5 says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. Isn't that breathtaking? He saved us because he held back from judging us. He decided to judge his son in our place. Ephesians 2.8.9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works. That's the mercy. you've ever hurt me, I'll make you pay. That's my flesh. That's my nature. And that's what God should say to us, but instead he says, I'll let my son pay. That's mercy and letting me off the hook. Wow. By the mercies of God. Well, God is constantly merciful now. I'm saved 39 years. And I tell you what, sometimes I wake up and I realize, you know, God, you're still being merciful because I'm not good, there's none good. I want to be good, but stuff goes through the head, stuff comes out of the mouth. Anybody ever say something you regretted? Yeah, and all of a sudden you feel grieved, and you go, God, why don't you kill me now? (laughs) And he has mercy, and that mercy affects us. Give yourself as a living sacrifice. What does that mean? In the Old Testament, It was filled with sacrifices, lambs and bulls and doves and rams. Thankfully, Jesus Christ was God's final and perfect sacrifice for all our sin. He was called the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the whole world. But our lives now can be a living sacrifice. I'm glad he didn't ask me to die. He likes living sacrifices. God doesn't need dead Christians. He prefers us living for him. But it must be our life that he gets. Not a few bob on a Sunday. Not a few minutes at church. He's asking us to live a life as a gift to God. It must be holy. I'll talk about this in a moment. It must be clean, without spot or without blemish. It must be given God's way, not a DIY situation. It must be something that you don't get anything out of it. When somebody took a, sac- took, a, took a gift to God and they gave us a sacrifice, guess what the priest did? He burned it up. <laughs> you didn't get anything back out of it. See, when you invest, when we're investing in our and we're giving money to drop our ceiling, we're going to get the benefit of it, aren't we? It's another thing that we decide to send a thousand euros to a missionary we'll never meet, and we get nothing out of it. One is for our benefit. Another one is a sacrifice for someone else's, amen? So give yourself, whether you get anything back, because he's worthy. By the way, God does not seek our brief visit to church, like today, or a small bit of money from our pockets, or a few poorly spoken words of some repeated prayer. He seeks all of us, and he deserves nothing less. Still looking at verse 1, he prepares us. He says that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. What kind of life, kind of whole, what kind of gifts should I give? A holy gift. Hey, you go to McDonald's. What kind of burger do you want? One that's fallen on the floor. I mean, it's cheap. <laughs> give it to you half price. <laughs> they go and they make that ice cream. You know, it tastes so good, and then the after effect is you're sick for a week afterwards. But they put that squirt a big chunk of ice cream in. Put that that's a flake in there and it falls on the floor they go uh just one second they scoop it all back in there well the specks are chocolate you know (laughs) would you accept that of course you wouldn't and yet when we come to God we bring all of our dirt we bring everything about us that we really don't care is covering us like like filth and we say okay God if you want to try to use me go ahead no, come to God clean. That's why, that's why Jesus said, if you offend a little child so that they get turned away from me, it'd be better you'd never been born. These children that have been abused, have been, have been uh, messed with by religious people and political people and, and uh, uh, teachers and all that stuff and turn people away from God, let me tell you, they will face God because that life from a young child was meant to be given to God holy and clean. Would you agree? Paul prepares us to not do as we please. But it has to be our best. You cannot give God your leftovers. You know what most people give? Their free time. How many have free time? Let me see your hands. How many have free time? We don't. Normally we don't have this big stash of free time. You say, Lord, I've got, I've got 18 hours this week to give you. Most everybody, I got 18 minutes. You know, most people only give money that's left over in their wallet. That's why some of you don't even bring your wallet. <laughs> God does not deserve the unwanted parts of our life. I'm gonna be cruel here for a moment. Do not do not be don't beat me up. But here's a young lady, and nobody asks her out on a date. Nobody talks to her at school. She's 17 years old and Nobody hangs with her, nobody talks to her, nobody likes her. You know what she says, she comes to church, she says, I guess I'll serve God. And they sort of, but if somebody else is over here and they're popular with everybody and they got everybody's approval, they're on everybody's Instagram and Snapchat and Facebook and everything, and that person never thinks one second about giving themselves for God. You see the difference? You see, we think, well, if nobody liked me, I guess I'd give myself to God. What a waste. What an awful, awful imbalance. God deserves a life lived that is acceptable to Him. That's our memory verse. Imagine you being given a gift from someone and they gave you an old, torn out, torn up, smelly shirt that was too small and it wasn't pretty. And they said, Happy birthday. Hmm. Imagine somebody coming home for dinner. Only when it suits them, ignoring all the time put in, preparing a meal, and ignoring the needs of the other person who just wants to spend time with them. They ignore it and they just don't ever come home. Now imagine millions of God's children giving God only the last few years of their life when they have no health, no strength, and no money. You cannot give God your leftovers. We serve to please God. Um, by the way, he says down there at the end of verse 12, he says, this is your reasonable service. It's not extreme for me to be a pastor. It's not extreme for me to have left a job with a telephone company and to have come to Ireland and started a church. That was not extreme. You know what it is? It was reasonable for me to do it. It It was what God seemed to ask of me. Why would I say, get someone else? My life belongs to the Lord. Therefore, if he wants me, and I sometimes have prayed, if he wants me in Myanmar, I'd go tomorrow. Some of you need to be freaked out. Oh, some of you need to be excited. (laughs) Because I don't mind where God would call me. I just hope it's not cold. (laughs) Wherever he calls me. it's It's reasonable. It makes sense. It just does. I think I came out with a better deal, amen? I think... It, all the gifts, all the mercies that God has given me, for me to give my life, I mean, <laughs> nobody else wants it. Paul pulls on us. Look at verse 2. He says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye, I love that word, transformed, by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Paul pulls us away from the world, away from our culture, which is changing every single day, and he pulls away from all the fashions, getting a hairstyle, getting your hair cut up uh, one 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 month, and the next week is growing long, and then the next week is it's it's shaved on the side, and everything is changing according to the fashions. God says, Paul says, come away. Don't be conformed to this world. Don't be like everything that is popular be transformed, be different, say what what do I need to be transformed into, into servants. That's the whole purpose of chapter 12, he pulls us to where a transformation takes place for us to be servants of all. And he proves to us the will of God, there in verse 2 he says, so that you may prove what is that good and acceptable, and what's the next word? A yeah, perfect will of God. Do you know the will of God is not a career? Say, well, brother, that better. The will of God for you was to be a missionary, be a pastor, start a church. No, that's where God has me now. But the will of God was for me to serve, no matter what I am. Now, if God still led me and wanted me to be a uh, working for the telephone company, I'm to serve Him there. If God wanted me to pump gas. I serve Him there. God's call is not in a special place, purpose, a, a title. You know God's purpose for my life and God's call in my life is? To serve. You say, well, pastor, I couldn't be a preacher like you. Don't be a preacher like me, but serve God like Jesus Christ wherever you are. You say, well, I can't, I can't open my mouth. Nobody likes when I try to give them the gospel, they always run. Number one, so what? Number two, Ask God for wisdom, how to, how to say what they need to hear and plant some seeds and watch them one day come back maybe in, at night like Nicodemus did and said, can you tell me more? See, the will of God is not a career. The will of God is a life of service to others that you may not yet love. And I say not yet love because the people that you serve, as if you're serving Jesus Christ, you will love the most. It just happens. People you may not like, when you start to wash their feet, when you start to meet their needs, when you start to carry their burdens, you will love them. The story is told of a man and a a wife who are getting a divorce. And it's true, this this very thing I'm about to describe, it's uh, James Dobson tells a story in one of his books. He says, this woman, um, the husband had met another woman and was leaving and it's decided I'm done. Don't love you anymore. And the woman said, can you just give it one month? All right, I'll I'll, I'll wait one month before we file the papers. She said, we just do one thing for me. Just one thing. Every night when we go to bed, would you carry me, carry me upstairs and put me in my bed? That's all you want? Yeah, that's all I'll ever ask of you. So for the next 30 days, every evening, he would pick her up up the stairs and he put her into bed and he would pull the covers over her and after a few days he found himself kissing her a few days later found himself lying next to her at the end of the 30 days something had happened as he served that woman and he got a letter there was a letter in the post box it was a letter from an oncologist and he opened it up it was directed to his wife and he didn't realize it was in the envelope, and he said, I better read this, and read it, and it says, your cancer has now turned to stage four. And it broke his heart. She never told him she had cancer, but she asked him to serve her just a little bit, and it kindled the love. It broke his heart, and he tore up the, um, uh, the divorce papers, and he apologized, and he asked her for forgiveness. It was that act of service, day after day, a simple act of service for someone he didn't love that changed his heart and that will change you and me if we will serve what we don't and, and serve and do what we don't want and serve those we don't want to serve we will be changed and it will prove the will of God it's the whole point of this chapter is we look and we come down to these seven gifts it will take our breath away so that's Why? I am the way I am since getting saved. Because God gifted me to do X, Y, and Z. But I'll talk about that next week. Paul pauses us in verse 3. Go back to verse 3. He says, I say, though through the grace that's given unto me, I say to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God had dealt to every man the measure of faith. I like how he's speaking to every one of us. He's not speaking to the pastor, not speaking to the church staff, he's not speaking to the teachers, every one of us. And he says, don't think of yourself so high as if you're above servitude. That's what he's saying. Don't think it's below you to serve others. I hope there's not one person in this room who, if I did hand you a brush and bleach, that you'd say, I don't do toilets. No, 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 Don't think so highly of yourself, folks. It ought to be a thrill for you to just come and help set up chairs. It ought to be a desire of yours to, if pastor asks you to come early, and just pray over every chair. I came last night. I come along these chairs. I don't know who's going to sit in them. But I ask God to put somebody in this chair who, well, they didn't come today, but <laughs> I ask God to put somebody in this chair who will listen and will learn and will love God because of t- today. Maybe maybe that's below you. Maybe you're too busy on a Saturday night, I don't know, but it sure burdens me that, that we would feel that, that call. To, you know, I think pastor's over at church right now praying. I need to go pray with him. Is there anything you won't do for God and God's people? Is there anything you won't do? (laughs) Well, Guess what? That'll be what God asks you to do. (laughs) uh, Lord, I'll do anything except be a missionary, and you know what he's going to call you to be. You know that. (laughs) Because when you tell God no, he takes that as a challenge. Definitely do not think you don't need God's gifting and abilities. I think what I do when I stand behind this pulpit is an impossible thing. I do not have a talent for speaking. Never have. Matter of fact, I'd rather be fishing. I'd rather be in my office reading. or I used to do all kinds of electronics and things. That's my flesh. But I stand behind this pulpit because God has called me to be here and then he enables me to look you in the eye and not freak out. He gifted me with a vision of people that are more than just people, their souls and if I can get something to say that will help them, I'll do it. Don't think you don't need God. Because this preacher up here never gets up here without being scared that I'm going to be, be, be a failure. That I'm going to say something stupid, which my wife always tells me the next hour later. That I will hurt somebody. That I will do the wrong thing. So I desperately, always, infinitely need God. Don't ever think that you won't need God's abilities. Some people have talents for speaking, some people have talents for singing. Use your talent, amen. But that's not a calling and that's not serving. Hmm. What talents do you naturally have? Maybe some of you can make money out of thin air, I don't know. Maybe Some people are good with their hands, they can build things. Maybe some people can teach school kids. Some people can manage an office. Some people can play a musical instrument. All of those are good when they're used for God's glory. But don't think so highly of yourself that any of that is needed of God. Listen to my words. You being able to build a church building for 4,000 people by yourself means nothing to God. To build, to to, to come up with 1,000 euros an hour, to all of those abilities that you already have are not needed by God. You know what he needs? A living sacrifice. A life that is just in his hand. Because I have found that the widow who gives two might, too little tenth of a penny, gave more than all of everybody else. God doesn't need our money. God doesn't need our talent. He's honored when we use it for him. He just needs you. He had all of that widow. Hmm. The will of God will usually be way beyond your ability. and Hopefully when you attempt to do God's will and you find it hard, you'll discover you'll be desperately in need of his help and his gifting. John 15 verse 5, maybe you remember this verse. It says, I am the vine and ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. Paul draws a picture for us, and I'll be finished with this. Verse 3, keep back there. He says, I say, though, through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, be rational, see clearly, according as God had dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, we'd say this that all the members of my body have different functions. I have ten fingers. I have ten toes, I have two eyes, I have one mouth. My mom always told me, you only have one mouth, two ears, make sure you listen twice as much. Anyway, I have two shoulders, two legs, one nose, two lungs, one heart, and they all make up one body. All right, now here's the great truth, all of those different members don't have the same function. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Eyes do not do the same thing your ears do, do they? Your fingers don't do what your nose does. I mean, that's weird, right? (laughs) Every member of your body is gifted with a special ability to do what it was supposed to do, amen? Your eye is gifted with the ability to see color, to see distance, to see faces. Your eye is gifted with an incredible ability. Your ears are gifted with a different ability, aren't they? So also, starts with describing a physical human body with all his members, so also is the body of Christ. A church is the body of Christ right here in Balancholic, it's people. When we, when we think of a normal body, we think of a human body, but when Jesus sees the body, uh, his body on earth, he's looking at a body of believers, a group of believers that live and act like one. We have many members and each member has a different gifting, a different ability that was given to them at the new birth. Why do we try to believe otherwise? Why do we think it doesn't matter that we're not here on a Sunday night and that we don't actually help? You know why? (laughs) Let me ask you, would your body be very well off if you only had one working lung, if you only had one eye, if you had no ears, if only two fingers could fold? If you had no toes, you know you couldn't walk if you didn't have toes. You could hobble, but you couldn't walk. Hmm, what if you had a bad back? What if you had no voice? It'd be a poor life, wouldn't it? And many churches are very poor because there's only a few people doing the majority of the work. No company operates that way. Imagine. A company with 100 people and only 20 actually show up for work and do any work but they all want to be paid you can't if you need 100 people doing a job you can't do it with only 20 amen no army functions with only half actually going through training imagine a guy signing up for the Irish army saying I already know how to shoot I play Call of Duty <laughs> on oh, my Xbox I'm ready for Beirut. Can you imagine having an army of people that think they're already ready and they don't get trained and they don't humble themselves and listen to a sergeant scream at them for six months (laughs) and prepare them for war. No car will work with only a few parts of the engine actually working. (laughs) You ever had that engine sound? It's like there's something not working inside of there. Yet I'm convinced that because of modern government, and I do not believe in the modern government, modern form of government that right now, Jeremy Corbyn over there, giving away Christmas like it's, like, like it's never been. He's given everything he can to get elected. And that is wicked and that is wrong because everybody is so used to the government and the state taking care of everything so everybody else can just stay home and they don't have to do anything. And it is wrong to let other people work and you sit on your todd and you sit on your rear and you just say, "Well, I, I I'm I don't have to, you don't have to, but boy, we need to." The best thing you can teach your children is to work. Amen. Hey, if you come to this church, and you visit this church. We who are actual committed members of this church appre- appreciate your. But if you're saved, we need you. We need your time. We need your presence at church. Every time we assemble together, we need your talents being used to bless others. We need your commitment to this church. We need your prayers. Acts 2.47 says, All the people were praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Every time somebody got saved, he says, Now get in that church stay (laughs) Hmm. why do we try to believe that we don't need to be part of the body that all these parts can go their own way what a weird body that doesn't assemble next week I'm going to talk about seven gifts that God gives us so we can serve him Hmm. wonder what they are they're in your Bible (laughs) right there chapter 12 here's the conclusion what gift did God give you If you're not born again, if you're only trying to be religious, you're trying to be good, trying to be a good husband, trying to be a moral wife, and have never humbled yourself or repented of your sin, never cried out to God to save you from your sin, then let me tell you, there's a gift waiting for you. The only gift you need to get this morning is the gift of God's salvation, His forgiveness, the gift of eternal life. As I read already, Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, it is not of yourselves; it is the gift of God. Romans six twenty three says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. What do you have to do with the gift? Accept it, open it up; it's yours. Take it. I like this gospel. You ever heard the word gospel? You know what that stands for? God offers sinful people eternal life. God offers sinful people eternal life. Gospel. It's a gift. But you have to want it. It's not forced on you. It's not, you're not baptized into it. You're not communized into it. You accept it. You have to admit to God that you're a sinner, lost without any hope, no matter how good you may try to be. And then from your heart, I mean you say, Well, what do I pray? What do I say? Just ask. Just just talk to God and realize He He's God and say, I want to be saved. Now the Bible says if you call on His name. You shall be saved. His name is Jesus. Now the rest of you, if you are saved, you need to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. You say, all right, God, right now I'm giving you this hunk of flesh. It's nothing. And really, it's it's amazing that even worms want to have it. But I give you this body of mine. And I'm not going to do it just now, I'm going to do it often. I'm going to regularly say this, my life needs to be constantly a living sacrifice given to you. And then I want to find out what you saved me to do. I want to find out what I can do today out of love for you. Father, I I beg you, God, that we would hear the begging of Paul and we would respond. That we would present our bodies, not, not our wallets, not our time, but our bodies. Because if you get us, you get everything with us. Would you please accept what we're about to decide this morning? Don't let anybody, don't let anybody think they can put this off. Because there is no guarantee of tomorrow. And we may not have another chance to give that great gift of our lives. And some people we may never get another chance to receive the gift of eternal life. God May there be some great gift receiving this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.